resurrection and the life uh, where Jesus says that and the story of Lazarus that's played out there of, of how you see uh, Lazarus's sister go to Jesus. Lazarus is dead and, and she goes and says, Lord, if you had only been here, he would not have died. And she falls on her face in grief and we know that that stirs Jesus's heart so much that he weeps because of his, his love for Lazarus, his love for Mary there. And he brings Lazarus out of the grave. And we see him there wrapped in those grave, grave clothes. I'm um, in that last panel there where Jesus has the power even over the grave. And we think here in the book of Philippians, we think about the Apostle Paul, who is so well known for his writing, but, but we may forget who he really was, that he was a Jew of Jews. He grew up knowing the Old Testament. He grew up obeying the Old Testament. He grew up enforcing the Old Testament and its laws and regulations to the point that he thought he was pleasing God by doing that, by, by putting that restriction on other people, by putting it on himself. He doesn't understand this Jesus who is preaching about love and grace and mercy, about the Father's forgiveness, and he rejects his message, so much so that after Jesus is resurrected and returned to heaven, Paul leads the way in the persecution of those early Christians to the point that the Jewish persecutors would come and that they would lay their cloaks at Paul's feet as they went out to persecute, to try to drive away, to shut down, even, even we know to kill the Christians. If we were watching that on the world news tonight, we would write off the Apostle Paul. He would be public enemy number one. But God did not write off the Apostle Paul. God pursued the Apostle Paul. And we know that as he traveled one day on the road to Damascus, that a blinding light shone down on him. It blinded him. And, and the Bible says that something like scales came onto his eyes. And I was thinking about those scales that, that were on the Apostle Paul's eyes and thinking about those grave clothes that, that were wrapped around Lazarus. And when Jesus begins to speak to Paul and teach Paul, using those early Christians alongside to do that, those scales fell off of his eyes and he began to see the world in a different way. I, I would dare to say that when Lazarus came out of that tomb, he saw the world in a different way. Friends, if, if you're going to be able to be like Paul here in this text, empowered by Jesus, obedient to what we see in this text, the way you see your life is going to have to change. And that change is rooted in a love for Christ and the transforming work and the power of Jesus at, at work in Paul. But then if we are going to be obedient in the same way, at work in us. And so I'd invite you to go with me to Philippians chapter 1 as we begin to dig into this and, and think in this way. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi, a church he planted about 12 years prior. He has now moved on. He is in Rome he has been arrested for preaching the gospel, and the church in Philippi has maintained the relationship with him, and they have sent messengers to him to tell them how they're doing, to encourage him. They have sent 
financial resource and, and other physical materials to try to encourage him and to help him in his ministry. And he is now writing back to them to thank them. And in that, he expresses the deep joy that he has for them, for their partnership in gospel ministry. He says there um, or early in this text in verse 5. And then he shares with them how he is praying for them. And we, we worked through that last week. And now, now he begins to give them a little view of the reality that is his life presently as he is being held a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And so Paul writes to them in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would teach us through your word. God, use it to instruct us in a way that we can live that would glorify you. Father, help us in our struggle, in our adversity. Lord, just as you helped Paul. Be near to us now, O Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we look at this text. This, this is really where Paul has a choice, that the greeting is past, so he's done his polite duty, which I don't mean to make light of that. I mean, he really is impassioned in his love for these people. But now he's going to get down to this is the way it really is in my circumstance. And so here as Paul writes this, this is his opportunity to feel sorry for himself, to write to them and say, this is the worst it's ever been. No other preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ has ever known circumstances as difficult as this. You wouldn't believe how hard it is. You wouldn't believe how I want to give up. He could have said those things, but he did not. He chose not to have that attitude. Instead, the Apostle Paul looked for ways for God to be glorified even in difficult circumstances. And so what we see here in this text is that Paul saw his adversity and he looked for it to become his gospel advantage. Paul's faithfulness to Christ allowed his adversity to become gospel advantage. The proclamation of the gospel, that, that's where we're going. So it's, it's not just that he felt better or things were a little easier for him. It's that he pressed into the mission of of the gospel, of carrying forward the good news of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of adversity, of difficulty, of great struggle. And so what is this gospel? Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power there in chapter 1 of Romans is the word for dynamite. <laughs> dynamite. 
right? We don't see this as much on the interstates anymore when we travel, but I remember going up and down I-24, I-65, that, that, that whenever they, they were blasting rock and clearing for road, they, they, they wanted you to turn off any two-way radios you had because it could trigger a signal potentially that would cause that dynamite to explode prematurely. That dynamite was not meant to loosen up the rock. The dynamite was meant to blow it out of proportion, to destroy it, to, to remove it. Dynamite is not a firecracker. Dynamite is meant to destroy and to change, to transform the environment around it. Paul says that the gospel is the dynamite of the human heart. That when God comes and he works through his spirit, through his word, and he opens your heart so that you see that you are in need of salvation from him, that your life is changed. Salvation from what? Salvation from our sin. You see, we have each been created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect, created for the purpose of honoring and obeying God. But we have each walked away from him. We have each sinned and been rebellious against him. And we have separated, alienated ourselves from him. And most of us know that rebellion has also caused us to be alienated from people around us. Sometimes even the people who were once closest to us, our sin has alienated us from them. But God in his love has not left us cut off. He has continued to pursue us, just as he did the Apostle Paul. And because he is good, he has sent Jesus into the world, who lived perfectly. Jesus did come and die on the cross, but you cannot miss the fact that he also lived perfectly. You and I do not live perfectly. Not only was he a substitute for us in our death, but he is a substitute for us in our life that he has fulfilled, he has done all that God would have us to do. Jesus has done that. And the Bible says that, that because he lived perfectly, he was able to die as our substitute so that our sins, which is the penalty of, of that disobedience to God and the death that is the punishment for that, that they can be taken and placed on Jesus. You need to understand that God doesn't just look at you and say, those sins, we're not going to think about those anymore. We're not going to worry about that anymore. We're going to act like that never happened. That's not what happens first. What happens first when we repent of our sin, when we say, God, please forgive me of my sin, is that Jesus, or God says, I will take your sin and I will place them on my son. I will place them on Christ. He has none of his own to bear. Therefore, Brandon, he can handle yours. Therefore, Johnny, he can handle yours. Therefore, friend, he can handle yours. And Paul would say, you don't understand. <laughs> it's not just that I lied to my mother or that I was rude to my brother. Jesus, I persecuted. I got pleasure from killing your people. And the law keeper, Paul, would have expected Jesus to say, 
oh, yeah, we can't overcome that. But that is not what the powerful Savior said. He said, I know. I died for that. And I can forgive that. I will forgive that. And Paul received that forgiveness. And his life was transformed. And a, and a love and a connection to the Lord Jesus grew in his life. Stronger and stronger and stronger. And so Paul began to look even at his adversity as gospel advantage, as, as advantage of knowing God more, of living for God in a greater way, of seeing God work in his adversity. How did he do that? Well, let's look at this text. In verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know that what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. Paul determined his struggles would move him toward God. Paul determined his struggles would move him toward God. I want you to know that what has happened is awful. I want you to know that what has happened has shut me down. It has paralyzed me with fear and anger And I barely function anymore. And when I can get home in the evenings, I just sit there and cry. Friend, this is no small fear. And I do not make light of it at all. But what you need to understand is that Paul had made the determination that whatever happens to me, I am going to take that and run toward Christ. In 2006, Monica and I lost a baby at 26 weeks. Benjamin was born and buried in just a very few days. I remember one man who came to visit us. And in the hospital, he said, he, I, think, I think he did this privately with me. He said, you and your wife are going to grieve. You need to understand that you're going to grieve this loss. And you need to do it together. My wife and I lost a child. And we grieved. We did not do it together. We did not walk with God in that grief. In that grief, I went to the golf course. And that was my therapy. In her grief, she went and shopped. And that was her therapy. And some years later, we came to the point where we had grown separate. And we are no longer married. I want to encourage you that you two are going to have to grieve together. That was one of, the, one of the best things that ever happened in my life. Because we went home from the hospital and a day, day or two later, a group of ladies from Smith's Grove Baptist Church did take Monica out for shopping therapy. And I went to the backyard as it was springtime. And I, I, I wanted, there was just something in me. I wanted to get the seeds of our garden in the ground. Just because of life and to be out there with that dirt. And by the Lord's providence, Monica came home about the time I finished. 
And the, it, just, it had just started. It was just raining. It was just sprinkling on me as I finished putting those seeds in the ground. And I remember us coming inside about the same time. And I sat down and we had that conversation that I've just shared with you. And we made the determination together that whatever happens in our lives, that it is going to push us toward each other and then together push us toward God, that we will not let it push us apart from one another. I don't think it would work if we thought, well, maybe. I'll see if this pushes me toward. It takes that resolute spirit that no matter what happens, I will not shake off away from my God. I will hold to him. And when that happens, when, when, when you realize that, that he is holding to you much tighter and much greater than you are ever holding to him, then that changes your perspective of the world around you. And you can say things like, what has happened to me has actually been for the advancement of the gospel. (laughs) When Paul would have every human right to say, this is it, I quit, I give up. Instead, he says, I can see God's hand in this awful situation. I can see God's faithfulness in this adversity. I can see him right here with me in this struggle. You say, what does that look like for Paul? Well, let's look at this. He says in verses 12 and 13, I'm sorry, verse 13 specifically, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so what happens here for Paul is he looks for God to redeem the struggle. He looks for God to redeem the struggle. What he's saying right there is that the good thing that has happened is that now all of the imperial guard knows that I'm here because I'm not just a preacher for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we might be tempted to say, you know, when I get out of this jail, I'm going to go back to my Christian ministry. I can't wait till I get out of this jail so I can write a book. And I'm going to tell everybody about this hard thing that's happened to me here. I can't wait till I get out of this imprisonment and I'm going to be on all the talk shows and tell all my story. Do you know what Paul, the apostle, the church planter, the evangelist did? He said, look, there's a Roman guard. I bet he doesn't know Jesus. I can tell him about Jesus. Look, there's the warden of the prison. He doesn't know about Jesus. Look, there's the jailer. I can tell him about Jesus. Look, there's a centurion. I can tell him about Jesus. Paul starts an evangelistic crusade and movement in that Roman prison. They put him there to shut him up. And they couldn't keep him from shouting it out. He looked for God to redeem the struggle. If you don't know the name Nick Ripkin, you ought to know the name Nick Ripkin as a Southern Baptist. He, he is maybe the most prominent expert 
on the church and persecution around the world. And he has a book called The Insanity of God. And in that book, do you know what Nick Ripkin teaches us? That the Chinese Christians who are persecuted, do you know what the pastors call that? The seminary. They call Chinese prisons the seminary. Why? Because so many of them have been arrested and put in there that they're able to join together and to teach and to learn from one another and grow in their faith and in their knowledge of the Word of God. And when the Americans come in and say, we're going to wipe this out, we're going to send all these envoys, we're going to flood the UN, we're going to go to your prime minister and we're going to expose all of this, they say, be careful not to take away our seminary. Even in a time of persecution, they see God's redeeming work in their struggle. Is that the way you see your struggle? Is your struggle a time to grow? A time to see God's faithfulness? Or is your struggle a time to complain? A time to be angry at God? A time to blame others? The Apostle Paul says what has happened here is actually working to the gospel's advantage. And I'm going to be faithful to that. He didn't need a special context. As the old sign says, he just bloomed where he was planted. We, we learned some other things here in this text. And I want you to understand that this is, this is hard. I mean, Paul is really in jail. He is really in prison. He really doesn't know if he's going to live on the other side of this imprisonment. But he says here in this text, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only was Paul concerned about his place, he was also seeing the perspective. And what is the perspective? Well, this perspective was that he remembered he was not alone. He remembered he was not alone. Because of my imprisonment, he says, because of his faithful example, because of his strong witness, others were encouraged, were empowered to stand and preach themselves. They saw Paul's struggle and it gave them power. He realized he was not alone. I mean, that, that's the ultimate moment. He could have had the Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Theme song playing through the book of Philippians, couldn't he? But he didn't. He was looking for how he could be an encouragement to others. And just being himself, just being that example. Just being faithful in his endurance. He, he, was, he was being that witness. If you've never had the opportunity to go visit someone who is sick, struggling, and you think that you're going to bring the encouragement, and what you find is that you leave with the encouragement, then you have missed a blessing. <laughs> the times when, when you go in and somebody is hooked up to so many machines and wires that, that, that you just feel pity for them. But by the time the visit's over, you think, we need to swap places and I need to lay down in that bed and you need to be the counselor. <laughs> 
because they've offered you so much hope, because their faith is so strong, because they, they see the Lord at work, and they're, they're grateful for his faithfulness and for his provision. Instead of slumping back in the corner and feeling self-pity, Paul looked for the Lord to redeem the struggle, and he looked for ways to encourage others through it. And God was faithful to do that. And so others have begun to speak out to be put at risk themselves for the sake of the gospel. And I want you to hear that. I want you to understand that this is not just that they lived as Christians or that they, that they, they were happy or encouraged. It's that they were acting on their faith. They were sharing the gospel. Please do not think when a lead pastor comes, then I'll start sharing the gospel. That may or may not happen if you don't share it today. Because once a lead pastor comes, then you'll need to get through this hurdle or that appointment or this season in life, and then I'll share the gospel. Paul did not wait for his calendar to free up to share the gospel. He just looked for people around him to tell them about the hope he had in Christ and to call them to right relationship with Jesus. And so here we see that Paul was looking for God to redeem the struggle. We see that, that he remembered that he was not alone. And then finally we come to understand that Paul looked to control only what he could control. Paul looked to control only what he could control. It's not all encouragement on the outside of the jail. Not all the brothers who are preaching the gospel are doing so with the right attitude. Without going into too much of a depth here of what's happening, you need to just understand that every book that's in a Christian bookstore is not put in that Christian bookstore to help you grow in your relationship with God. Some of those books that have been written and placed in Christian bookstores are so that the author or the publishing company can have bigger houses, more houses, bigger cars, and more prosperity. There may be truth within those books, but the motive of the writing of that book is not God-honoring. It is self-serving. And Paul sees that even, even from where he is here in Philippians chapter 1. But Paul comes to the point where he understands that there is only so much that is within his power and control. Because again, when we, when, when we think that we've got to fix it all, we usually end up fixing nothing because we shut down, because we feel paralyzed, because we give in to discouragement and doubt, and frustration, and fear. Paul did what he knew to do, and trusted God to do the rest. Let me give you this sentence. As I thought about this in my life, this temptation for me, maybe it's true for you. Our desire to fix everything around us may be a desire to be God, or to at least be his advisor. Think about that. If you're waiting for everything to be exactly the way you want it to be before you are faithful and obedient to what God has called you to do, 
you may be standing right here. Let me read it to you one more time. Our desire to fix everything around us may be a desire to be God or to at least be his advisor. There is no verse in the Bible that say applications are available in the lobby to be second in command. Turn them in by Tuesday and we will communicate with the chosen winner by email. God is not looking for an advisor. God is looking for a faithful witness. He is looking for someone that he can love, that he can invest in, that he can transform their life and use them so that they can enjoy him and delight in him and live their life growing as a disciple, sharing the good news and finding delight in their own hearts in that all along the way. And when I begin to tell God these are the conditions that have to improve before I will be satisfied or before I will serve you, then I am dangerously close to telling God that we need to shift roles. Paul saw his circumstance. He remembered what he was called to do. And he did it faithfully through the power of the gospel. The work of the Spirit, the strength of God at work in him to be faithful to do what he was called to do. This morning, maybe you don't know the power of the gospel. Maybe this morning you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to confess to him that you are indeed rebellious, that you have been sinful, that you need to be forgiven. I'd be glad to talk to you about that as we sing here in just a moment. Maybe this morning there is a struggle, there is a great great situation of adversity in your life. Maybe you need to seek the Lord's help in that. You're welcome to come and to pray. I'd be glad to pray with you. Others around you there would pray with you. Maybe this morning you're tired of trying to do these things alone. That's that's something we notice, that he's, he's still not alone, even though he's locked in jail. He's not alone. The Christian life's not meant to be lived alone. Maybe you need to come and join together with this church family. We'd love to talk to you about how you can do that. I'm going to pray, and then we'll stand and we'll sing as we respond to the Lord's work in our lives. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of Paul. Lord, we know that he was a human being just like we were, and so we want to be careful to not neglect the fact that, that he struggled. Father, that There was probably anger and doubt and fear in him. But Lord, we thank you that we're able to see you work in in endurance in his life. And and Lord, that's what we want to see in our lives. We want to see you at work step by step by step by step with us, taking us to where you would have us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would remind us even now of where we have been and how you have brought us to this point and Lord that that would fill up our hearts with with zeal with want to with hope with faithfulness with courage to continue walking forward with you we thank you Lord that you promised you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us help us to trust you for it's in Jesus name we pray 
Amen. Let's stand.